Hey video game fans, I'm Ben Bertoli, and this is Memory Card. Push was called away to defend Japan from Kaiju with his rocket-powered mech, so I get to bring on another guest today. And today I am joined by Vancouver-based video editor, Philip Drobar. How's it going, Philip? Hi, it's going well. How are you, Ben? I'm doing pretty well, you know, but still trying to get caught up on my backlog. Been playing some of that new Tony Hawk video game, so oh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, I guess when this uh, episode actually goes live, that will be old news, but <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, I'm excited about it. And uh, I believe you're our first guest to ever call in from Canada, though you're not originally from there, correct? Uh, no, I'm originally from Austria, as you might be able to tell from my accent. Yeah, so you're kind of the world traveler there, huh? <laughs> oh, like a little bit, but yeah. I, a little bit. I came to Canada in 2017 to work in the film and movie industry. Okay, so well, you're definitely uh, our yeah. first Austrian guest, and you're definitely our first Austrian guest who's located in Canada. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's great that the show has managed to reach, you know, such interesting people from around the world. So yeah, I'm excited to see what you got for us. Are you ready to get things going? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay, let's boot it up. So, Philip, I have read on the internet, which only has real and very true facts, that you worked on movies like Aquaman and Sonic the Hedgehog. Is that true? Uh, that is true, Ben. In this case, the internet was correct. <laughs> this one very specific case. Yes. The only time. So uh, what was your role on these type of films? I work in the visual effects industry. And uh, more specifically on Sonic, I was the VFX editor for the visual effects company MPC. Hmm. And they, they did the majority of the um, VFX shots for that movie. So the animation and so on for Sonic. Very cool. What's Sonic like in person? Is he really nice? <laughs> <laughs> Abs absolutely. He's, he's the best man. Yeah. <laughs> I, felt, I felt really bad when we had to give him a little makeover. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think you guys made the right decision <laughs> when that happened. Was there a specific part of the movie, like a character or a scene or something that you had a focus on or... So not really, like we, we touched almost every scene of the movie except two, which were done by um, other VFX studios. Hmm. As, as my role as VFX editor, I got to see almost like all, all the shots, all the plates. Oh, really? Before they even got to theaters, huh? Yeah. Well, that's very cool. I don't think we've had anybody who had that kind of a connection to the gaming world or the movie world on before, so. Yeah, I have to say as a, as a lifelong gamer, it was definitely a cool thing to be a part of, a cool project to work on. Yeah, I can only imagine when you got the news that that's what you'd be working on. But, you know, we, we could talk about Sonic all day, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not why you're here today. You actually reached out to us in April via email with an interesting topic in mind. So go ahead and tell us, uh, what are we going to be learning about today? Um, today, I'd love to talk more about the GP2X, which is a South Korean handheld. And it's actually the second of a series of handhelds made by a company called Game Park. And they were mostly known for being um, open source handhelds and just focus on homebrew and um, free software. Yeah. Well, I mean, you hear about, you know, obviously handhelds coming out of Japan through the major companies. 
and then there's the smaller ones like the Wonder Swan and such. But I really don't know about many other handhelds that came from anywhere else in the world. So I'm very interested to hear about this. Let's start about a little bit of the history of the company. So Game Park is the name of the company in South Korea that created uh, their first handheld in 2001, which was called the GP32. And it was made to compete with the Game Boy Advance at the time. And it Mm. was available in South Korea and in some parts of Europe, like Spain. Like it was a kind of odd release area, but it it gained some popularity because it was um, able to run homebrew software on it. Yeah, that kind of sets it apart, doesn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. So it <laughs> kind of found found its little niche. Is it does the 32 at the end of there is that for 32 bits? Um I think it tried to give the illusion of 32 bits like it was able to run kind of sophisticated looking beat 'em up games mostly, but I'm not sure if it was actually like 32 bits at that time. I think it was a bit a little bit lower powered. Oh, okay. What was the year again that the first one came out? Uh, 2001. This just reminds me of the Virtual Boy, which was, the code name was VR32. So, oh, yeah. But this is a little beyond that, six or so years. Because of, because of the little popularity it gained for the homebrew community, um, the company actually started to discuss on how they should make their next handheld. And some people in the company actually didn't want to do a homebrew handheld. And the company actually split up because of that dispute. So um, Game Park split into Game Park and Game Park Holdings, Hmm. which is, yeah, very, very confusing. Yeah. (laughs) The split that wanted to not do the homebrew handhelds tried to make a handheld called the XGP, which stands for Extreme Game Player. A very rad name, I have to say. <laughs> but unfortunately, that actually never, never um, came out. Huh. They never actually made to made any product. But Game Park Holdings, the leftover company, worked on their successor, and they initially wanted to call it the GPX2. But because there was actually a Japanese mm-hmm. printer called GPX, they figured, oh, we can't name we can't name it GPX2 because they might pursue us for for violation so they changed the name to the gp2x mm, oh, they switched it around on them yeah so let's take a, a step back really quickly and just just in case anyone out there doesn't know what is homebrew uh, homebrew is um kind of like this umbrella term for software or games that just people program on the free time and it's more known in the community for people who use like the linux operating system where every um, piece of code every software is usually open source so you're free to copy it you're free to change it edit it mod it port it to other systems or other um, consoles even so there's a lot more freedom involved basically it's a, more of a community feel exactly and it's always very focused on nothing commercially mm. so most people that create like games homebrew games just release them for free online. So the one company, they, they split in half. One tried to make a dedicated gaming machine that never came out. And the other one tried to make a sequel to the first one that was more focused on homebrew. Exactly. Okay, what's the next chapter of this story? <laughs> so the next chapter would actually be the GP2X. Mm-hmm. And that was the handheld that I actually owned. 
and I remember ordering it back when I was a teenager and um, getting really excited about it uh, because of its possibilities with um, homebrew and the likes. And yes, let me let me describe that device a little bit for you so you get a better idea. All right. Um, so it looks like a little bit more um, itchy Game Boy Advance, like it has a little bit more of a square shape, but it has rounded quarters. So it's got that horizontal look to it. Oh, yeah. Like a Game Gear almost. A little bit, yeah, like a little bit more more square Game Gear. It was, it was definitely smaller than a Game Gear. It was roughly maybe, maybe a little bit larger than, um, than a Game Boy Advance. And it had two shoulder buttons. It had a thumbstick that was clickable, which I think back then was, it was the first handheld who had a clickable thumb, thumbstick. The PSP had a little thumbstick, but it was not clickable. It was just this sliding little right. stick, if you remember that one. I know, I know the Neo Geo Pocket Color had a clicky stick, but I can't remember when that came out. I'm not sure when. Might have been close. Okay. Yeah, so the GP2X, it came out in November 2005. Oh, okay. And it, it cost around 170 to 190 US dollars. That's like a converted rate. Um, it was never officially released in the US, so it was just distributed by uh, smaller like community people. Um, that were directly in contact with Game Park Holdings. Mm-hmm. It ran on two AA batteries, so it was pretty pretty approachable handheld, and it had like a decent battery life with those two batteries. Yeah, sounds like it. So how would you get the games onto the system? Did it have cartridges? Did it just link to a computer? or? So the GP2X actually had an SD card mm. reader, like an SD card port, like you would find in a digital camera. Right. Um, so it was super easy to just buy an SD card and put whatever files and games you want on it and pop it into your GP2X and you're ready to go. It actually had some really other interesting ports as well. It had a USB port that you could use to um, directly connect it to your computer to put on games and software. Mm-hmm. But it actually also had USB host, so it could actually mount USB devices like a hard drive or a mouse and keyboard even, or also game pads. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like it had even more accessories than the Game Boy, I guess, technically, depending on you know what, what yeah. <laughs> other devices could actually work with it successfully. Exactly. And the firmware of the GP2X was a custom Linux. So if you had Linux drivers for a certain device, it would usually actually work on the GP2X as well. Um, and yeah, that made it actually a really versatile little machine. The company even put out an external port that had a TV output. So you could potentially also hook this uh, handheld up to your TV and play all the games on the TV with like a gamepad attached as well. Yeah, that is really versatile. Did they... I mean, obviously the homebrew thing was the main pull, but were there actual games released for it, you know, sold by companies or normal developers, or was it totally homebrew? They actually were a couple of um, official games and even commercial games. Some of them were just free games, but some of them were commercial games. Mm -hmm. I have like a little section on games that I'd like to come back to later. Okay. Um, but yes, it, it had a handful, though not a lot. I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the first batch that they released was called the F100. 
And that's the model that I um, received. I don't know exactly why, I don't fully remember it, but it came with some little quirks. Um, one of them was that when they shipped it, um, I think it was because they wanted to avoid certain custom fees. They actually didn't put the um, LCD screen cover on the main device, hmm. but left the LCD exposed and they just put it in the box and you had to basically put the cover on at home after you took it out of the box. Oh, that's weird. I was I was just thinking of like the little sticker they put on top of screens nowadays. You're talking about literally like the screen. It was literally the cover of the screen. And um, if you want a visual aid, if you actually go to the official GP2X Wikipedia page, the picture they have of, a, of the GP2X is actually missing that cover. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they didn't fully assemble it when they took that picture. And I remember when they, when they started shipping it, they actually, uh, people in the forums for it, um, gave each other advice on how to best put on the screen cover, like, oh, do it in the bathroom after you shower, because then there's no dust particles in the air. <laughs> good thing. Good thing you brought your, uh, your handheld into the shower with you, you know, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so that, that was a... a little quirk with it when they <laughs> when they shipped that one those are the kind of little details that i love those are the kind of things that i remember about a system <laughs> exactly that's also what you never find on wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> well i mean that's why you gotta add it you gotta add it in there yourself <laughs> that one was was uh decently successful and um besides yeah all the the cool little details like the xt port for tv out and the usb port and of course, the SD card that made it really easy and affordable to get tons of games on it. It also had a little, a little issues here and there. So, for example, like, yeah, the weird stuff about the LCD screen, but also because it actually had a thumbstick, but people left the um, fighting games on it and the fighting game emulation, mm -hmm. um, there were some complaints where people said, oh, I can't really play Street Fighter or Streets of Rage with the thumbstick because the combos are just hard to pull off and um game park holdings took that criticism to heart and their second model the f200 which they released in 2007 actually featured a d-pad as a replacement for the thumbstick oh like not alongside it but they completely replaced it yes they completely got rid of the oh wow uh, thumbstick and put a d-pad in place Surprised they didn't just like move it up and put a D-pad below, but I guess that's uh, easier said than done. Yeah, I think it was easy for them to just switch out that part. Um, they gave it, um, they gave a couple of other improvements and changes to the F two hundred. Most notably, uh, was a touchscreen. Oh. So the F two hundred then supported touch input with a stylus. How big? How big was the screen? Three, three and a half inches. So. Pretty small, but not... I mean, I feel like the DS's touchscreen was smaller than that. I think it was... Like, it felt roughly like the same size. I think maybe the GP2X was a little bit bigger. Oh, okay. And it it mostly came into play to control the, the firmware and, the, like, the Linux OS. But I think later on, they released... There were some homebrew games who directly supported the touchscreen. Mostly some puzzle games. Yeah, that would make sense. I still can't believe they took away, like, essentially an analog stick and added a D-pad in its place. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's any handheld in the history that has, like, 
backtracked to a d-pad you know they've added one in but not completely (laughs) ousted the original stick yeah i i guess it's the people just really didn't like it i i thought it was fine i actually um really liked the thumbstick and yeah so another cool thing about the gp2x was um that it because of its linux firmware it could not just play games but also play all kinds of media like mp3s um mp4 files so movies and videos and also display pictures it's like an all an all-in-one device yeah it was a, a multimedia machine and because it was um using sd cards one nifty thing about it was that if you had like a digital camera you could just take the sd card out of your camera put it into your gp2x and look at the pictures right away that's wild how old were you when you got your original one i probably got it at the end of 2005 so i was 17 oh okay so this came out all after the nintendo ds was out but because of its homebrew appeal i think it was still able to do reasonably well and also because it was before the era of smartphones so multimedia devices like it were not very common right and had that emulation factor as well yes of course we have to talk about the emulation factor (laughs) and i mean uh i always you know people would always pitch me on emulation on iphones or on phones in general and i was just like i could never get past the whole uh, no buttons like i I gotta have buttons i can't play games without buttons (laughs) at least retro games yeah i'm totally with you on that the gp2x was just made for it they were able to um, get all the big emulators for all the most commonly known classic game systems on the gp2x so you had um, nes emulation super nintendo emulation the mega drive slash genesis and even the i'm not sure if i always i i'm never sure how to pronounce it the new geo or new geo neo geo i think yeah they had that one even classical card machines over the uh, MAME emulator. Another uh, interesting part were the so-called engine ports, which were done by the, the homebrew community that actually didn't port a game directly, but the engine for a game. So if you had a copy of the game's files on your PC, you could take the ported engine, put your game files into it, and play that game legally on the gp2x this was mostly done for games like uh, duke nukem 3d doom and quake that's wild and i think the most famous game that had an engine port um, on the gp2x was cave story i mean that started as a homebrew game right i think it was just like a a free game i'm not sure it was like fully open source but yeah it was like a solo development game that sounds like it probably needs its own episode (laughs) the cave story episode (laughs) Yeah, Cave Story, that's like a, a game that went through many iterations and interesting twists and turns. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think overall the highest level of emulation that GP2X were, was able to pull off was PlayStation 1. Oh, wow. Though, de- depending on the games, it was very, very slow, and not all PlayStation games would run with it. Yeah, I can imagine some of the ones that had more of the advanced, you know, polygon 3D graphics were would be a bit of a struggle for it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you would be able to play like Metal Gear Solid on it. Yeah, or like um, Tekken 3D or anything. Yeah, 
I was able to find some videos of people booting up some PlayStation 1 games, but the frame rate was always very, very, very slow. Yeah, I can imagine. Hey listeners, we're putting this episode on pause for a bit to talk about how you can support Memory Card. Don't you dare hit that skip ahead button. We promise this won't take too long. If you enjoy the show, the easiest way to support us is by simply spreading the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your followers. Tell that weird guy at 7-Eleven. Hey, listen! If you're less of a social butterfly, you can always leave a positive review. Or you can follow us on Twitter at MemCardShow. You can take your support to the next level by joining our community on Patreon. Memory Card patrons receive perks like early ad-free episodes, shoutouts, and early access to bonus content in our Save Files archive. Every little bit helps, so we hope you'll consider pledging a dollar or two. You can find out more on patreon.com slash memcard. That's patreon.com slash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. And now, back to the show. So, yeah, after, I think after two years or three years, they sold over 60,000 units or about 60,000 units, um, but there is no fully official number of it. Right. Um, that was just um, set by the German distributor for the GP2X. And I take it that was the last one in the series? <laughs> no. There were actually more handhelds on the horizon. So I guess the GP2X was successful enough that uh, Game Park Holdings announced a small successor, which had the unfortunate name of Wiz. <laughs> <laughs> they just call it the GP2X Wiz, so W-I-Z. I mean, it's not that much worse than we, to be honest. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. And they, they announced it in 2008, released it in 2009. And it was actually very similar to the F200 model, except it was a bit smaller. Uh, they gave it a very modern makeover in terms of its looks. So the, the GP2X Wiz looks more like a Game Boy Micro except it still has all the buttons. And it also features a touchscreen with a little stylus. That, like, comes out of the system? Uh, yes, exactly. has, like, a little, oh, okay. little cubby for it. It almost sounds like they took everything that they thought was, like, the coolest part of, you know, handhelds at the time <laughs> and kind of just smashed them into one <laughs> oh, yes. handheld of their own. Yes, absolutely. It can emulate. It can touchscreen. It's got, you know, D-pad. Yeah, and the, the Wiz actually got another small little nickname. It was chokingly called the Myungtendo. I hope I pronounced that right, but <laughs> the reason for that was that the South Korean president, Lee Myung-bak, made a statement in 2009 that Korea should actually develop a video game console like a Nintendo DS in February 2009, and the GP2X Wiz was released about three months later in May. <laughs> under, under his supervision. <laughs> um, no, the, the, it was actually completely unrelated, but... Oh, yeah, I know. I'm just... <laughs> people jokingly gave, him, gave it the, the nickname, the Myungtendo. I was wondering about that, because that was in, in your initial email, and I was like, what's, what's the connection there? I don't understand. So that's funny. They named it after the, the politician who was hoping... <laughs> yeah. So um, are you ready to talk about some games now? Heck yeah. Tell me about the best ones or the worst ones. The most interesting ones, I guess. So I was thinking, because as a, as a listener to the show, I know of your little game with Push where you test if a game is real or fake. 
Oh, okay. This is going to be so hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hit me with your best shot here. Let's do it. First game, Payback. Payback. That sounds like a real game. I'm going to say real. It is real. All right. That was actually one of the big commercial games for the Cheapy 2 x And it's like this action GTA style, style game. Uh, I was going to say, it sounds, like, it sounds like you're doing like heists, you know? Like going, stealing money. Yeah, it was pretty much a, a clone of GTA 2. Mm. But it had, it had pretty, pretty good graphics for, for its time. Nice. You say pay, is it called Payback? Payback, yes. Okay, I was thinking, like, isn't there a game called Payday? I feel like there is. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of the candy bar. I can't remember. <laughs> There's too many video games out there. So next one. Um, wind and Water Puzzle Battles. Wind and Water Puzzle Battles. Uh, I don't know. That seems a little too drawn out. I'm going to say it's fake. That one's real. <laughs> it just sounds like someone looked at a concept for a video game. Like, what's this about? Oh, it's like uh, it's, you use wind and water to do these puzzles. Oh, okay. Let's call it that. <laughs> yeah. I guess at least there's no confusion about what the game actually is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is it? Hmm. Okay. Ready for the next one? Yeah. Bean in Coffee Land. Bean in Coffee Land. I'm going to say it's real. That one's made up. All right, darn. Well, someone needs to make it. I mean, it's a homebrew community. Come on, folks. I know, right? Someone get out there it's, it's and right make, there. That, make that for the, the, the play date. Have you seen that? Oh, yes, exactly. Perfect. Where you have to grind, grind the coffee with the little crank. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's perfect. Oh, wow. Oh, we should, we should like copyright that right now. Yeah, yeah. Patent pending. Patent pending. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm disappointed, but let's move on. Okay. Uh, Max in Ghost Picks. Max and Ghost Picks? Max in Ghost Picks. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say real. That is real. You're correct. Okay. So what's, what's happening in that game? <laughs> uh, that was actually a Picross-style game. Oh, okay. That makes so much more sense. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was a pretty good game. I remember playing that one and just finishing all of it because I'm a huge fan of Picross games and that was one of the best official um, releases. Now, did the official releases just come on their own SD cards or did you download them from a site or something? Um, you were able to download them from a site. Okay. The GP2X community, just they usually had these forums where they would just post links and there was like official lists of games that are like supported with download links. Hmm. But um, Game Park Holdings themselves actually also ran their own website with games where you could um, buy games, which if, if they were commercial or just download the free ones. So they, in a way, they had their own little online game store for their handheld. I take it you couldn't access it through the system itself, right? Like on the screen? Um, unfortunately, no, because yeah. um, you had to be online and it didn't support any online functionality. Uh, makes sense. Makes sense. So you download the game to the card, put the card in the system. Exactly. All right. Okay. Hit me with the next game. All right. Uh, Super Tux. Super Tux? Yes. As in T-U-X. Like tuxedo? I'm gonna say fake. That one's real. <laughs> I'm not. I'm doing okay. Is it about a, is it about a penguin? Exactly. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. A lot of these games were actually ports from um, popular uh, Linux games. 
Oh. Because the GP2X was running a custom Linux, it was apparently really easy to port those over. And because the official mascot of Linux is Tux the Penguin. Right. So <laughs> you had some, some games with, with the Penguin in it. That's funny. I never knew he actually did anything outside of, you know, sitting there and being a, an icon. Yeah. Um, next one. Retrovirus RTS. Retrovirus RTS. Uh, real. Yes, that is real. All right. It sounded so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's apparently a real-time strategy game um, with viruses. Like computer viruses or viruses in a body? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't played it. <laughs> I think it might Both. actually be like or organic vi viruses. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't sure uh, how exactly that worked. All right. You got any more for me? I have one more. Snake on Dope. Snake on Dope. Oh, gosh. That sounds so fake that it almost seems like it has to be real. Um, but I'm going to go with fake. You were, you were right. It is actually real. <laughs> Oh no. Is it like literally a snake on drugs? It's, um, I mean, I'm not sure if you can actually tell if the snake is on drugs or not, but it is like a clone <laughs> of the game Snake. Okay. With like very colorful graphics. But that, that game had to be pulled from the official store because I think there were some copyright issues, uh, issues with the music used within the game. Hmm. But it was uh, one of the games that was specifically released for the gp2x whiz did did you have that one i did not have that one <laughs> it's too bad one. because you know if they pulled it now it's like a rare you know <laughs> important part of gaming history that you could have been a part of yeah too bad i never got to experience the snake on dope <laughs> <laughs> that's all right i'm sure it'll make a comeback at some point they'll do like a gritty reboot you know for the playstation 5 <laughs> yeah looking forward to that <laughs> one for sure so, yeah, as you can see overall, um, there were not too many commercial games. I know, like, mm -hmm. the Payback was one, Wind and Water Puzzle Battles was one, uh, the Retrovirus was one. The rest of those games were actually just free games released by their developers because they kept it all in that homebrew spirit. Right. And they probably want it, you know, you think if you're a developer, if you can get something that's big on homebrew, you might be able to turn it into a real game down the line. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Maybe make some, some money off of it or, you know, produce a sequel that you can actually sell yeah. for some uh, actual cash. So Yeah, and, I mean, it worked for Cave Story, right? <laughs> it, yeah, it did. I mean, a lot, of, uh, a lot of developers get their start, especially those people who make games like on their own, you know, like the people, mm -hmm. uh, I forget the guy's name who made um, Stardew Valley, you know, he did everything mm -hmm. on his own yeah. and kind of just uh, put it out there. And then it blew up into something big. Exactly. Um, so are those, is the company that made those handhelds, is it still around? Um, I'm actually not entirely sure, but they definitely stopped uh, making hardware. Um, the last I heard was that they switched over to focusing on software. But huh. that last update was from 2011. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I tried to access the official website and it was very very outdated and half broken well if anybody knows out there if anybody's listening and knows the fate of this uh development company or this hardware company i guess uh, reach out and let us know or if you work there currently reach out and let us know <laughs> they they did one more handheld before oh yeah before they they went they went and left the hardware market 
um, yeah, after the GP2X Wiz, they um, released one more handheld called the Canoe. Like a, like a canoe like that you paddle down a river? I guess that's how you'd pronounce it, but they, <laughs> they doubled all the vowels in that name, so it's spelled oh. C-A-A-N-O-O. Oh, Canoe. And my personal theory was that it was, like the name was a little chap on its main competitor handheld, which was the Dingo. Mm. which was this Chinese handheld, um, which came around the same time. Um, yeah, so the Canoe was released in uh, 2010, in the summer of 2010. And it has a little bit more of a toy shape again. It wasn't as um, sleek as the Wiz. Um, looks a bit more rounded. It wasn't very successful, as far as I could tell, because they discontinued it um, right away in 2011, so roughly about half a year pretty quick turnaround there yeah and i think at that time uh smartphones were already very common and you didn't have that need for handheld that was also a multimedia device in that regard right yeah i could see that definitely kind of killed the appeal yeah well that's crazy i you know like i said before i had no idea that any of these things existed and the (laughs) fact that there was like a whole you know market and a fan base and like a dedicated website that sold games and promoted games that you could download is just uh it's it's mind-blowing it's mind-blowing the things that you miss in you know the world of gaming on the other side of the world yeah it was it was pretty pretty interesting and a little wild time where um i think all these different and yeah like you said really really niche handhelds came out and it's so easy to just miss one of them or three or four even (laughs) (laughs) a few in a row (laughs) all right okay well is there anything else you wanted to say about uh the these korean handhelds or um i think one one side note that i could um offer as an anecdote was that uh english and german speaking community of these open source handhelds actually split a little bit and started to do their own thing Hmm. um after the gp2x came came out and the, the the whiz most most notably the distributor in germany and the german speaking countries planned um his own open source handheld um his his name he's actually pretty well known in that community his name is evil dragon evil dragon that's that's the nickname he goes by um, oh that's not that's actually, not his real name okay no his name is um michael mosek oh okay but everybody knows him as evil dragon and um, together with his distribution partners from the U- UK and US, they tried to make a new open source handheld called the Pandora, hmm. um, which they just wanted to um, make the best open source handheld ever. And everything that they thought the GP2X was lacking, they wanted to put into that device. And it actually was released in 2010, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. How did, it, how did it do? Did it take the world by storm? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I'm not sure if there's official sales numbers for it. I think they, they had a couple of problems, which happens a lot if you try to crowdsource um, any kind of hardware with getting the right chips and getting the right um, parts for it. But they definitely shipped it out in batches to people who like just pre-ordered it. Um, it kind of looks like a, a straight-up clone of the Nintendo DS, so it has like a hinge. Oh, I um, see. But in the bottom half, there is no screen, 
It has mm. instead of instead of a screen, it has a full keyboard. Wow. Two thumbsticks and a D-pad and the action buttons. Oh gosh, I'm gonna have to find a picture of this and put it on our save file page because I feel like people need to see this. Yeah, it, it definitely looks wild. And because it's running a full um, Linux on it, it actually has like a, you have like a full on desktop running on this little screen with applications and um, it supports a browser and everything. It's, it's pretty wild. It's almost like a little computer. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. And they still weren't fully happy with that, I guess, after a couple of years, because then they worked on a successor to the Pandora, which is called the Dragon Box Pyra. Again, the, the name Dragon pops up again. Yeah. That one is still not released officially, even though they, they started taking pre-orders for that one in 2016. And it hasn't been released four years later. Nope. <laughs> Ooh. But you can still um, find video updates of Evil Dragon himself um, of the production process and him presenting the parts and how they're trying to assemble it and getting the pre-orders out there. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's good that he's still he, that he hasn't left the spotlight so people can see that it's still happening, I guess. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there's still people who are like super hyped for it even after four years. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you're like really into this open source community and uh, Linux. Yeah, I can imagine. So, yeah, that's my story of open source handles. Sounds good. Hey, thanks so much for coming on today. I mean, like I said, I love it when people reach out to us, uh, especially with topics that we have no idea about. Like, I wouldn't know where to begin, you know, researching this or uh, pulling information. So I'm glad that you could come on and, and give us the down low. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the show and let me talk about this. Yeah. So if people want to find you online, do you have any uh, anything you'd like to plug? I guess just my Twitter account, uh, which is at Philip Jobar. And yeah, I like to just tweet out random tidbits about games. I, I actually started working on my own little games, becoming a little little indie dev. Oh, in, in, in your spare time? In my spare time, yeah, I just released my first little indie game. So if you want to check that out, that out, you can find it on my Twitter. I have the link right there. Oh, very cool. What's it? What's it called? What's the game called? It's called Chestnut Grove. Okay, so it's not about the coffee bean guy, right? <laughs> okay, that, that one's coming next. <laughs> That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or want to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out via Twitter, at MemCardShow, or on our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Pusherai, we can be found at PushDustIn, and at SuperBentendo, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, including Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Harrison, Jose Acosta, Talis, Rob Lawler, Jorge Bajija, and B-Side Brandon. Whew, that's a lot of support. 
All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com memcard. We'll be back soon with some gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you enjoyed the show. See you later.